As I was praying over this feast, what struck me most about the story of the Magi is how strange it is. It's incredibly strange. I mean, a lot of biblical stories are a little strange, but this one's extremely bizarre. First of all, we don't really know who they are. We don't know how many of them there are. We don't know where they exactly came from. We know they came from the east, but is that 100 miles to the east? Is that 1,000 miles to the east? I don't know. And I think that when they go, they leave everything. Everything they know, all of their work, all of their family, everything. And they go on this incredibly dangerous journey across a desert. Maybe it's just me, but you got to wonder why. Why? We often get too stuck in the modern culture, I think, and we need to get back into the ancient mindset to understand what this would have been like for them. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever ridden a camel. I have. They're not comfortable. Like, it's, it's not like a, a seat on a bus or a seat in an airplane or a recliner. Like, they're incredibly uncomfortable. And they stink. There's no hotels along the way. There's no restaurants. It's hotter than blazes during the day. It's cold, like really cold at night. There's not a lot of wood to build fires to stay warm. I've been in the desert. You know, back in the ancient culture, there were many like marauders, robbers, that would assault caravans. I can guarantee they ran into a sandstorm or two. The desert is not a friendly place for human beings. I remember when I was in seminary, I got the chance to go to Egypt. And when we flew into Egypt, as you come into Cairo, you fly over the Nile Delta. And it's absolutely stunning. Like, it's just luxuriously green and beautiful. But on each side of it, it's just desert for like hundreds, maybe thousands of miles. And I was so excited. Is that, who's been to the desert? Just raise your hand. A handful of people have been to the desert. When I got to the desert, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing ever. Like, is this, I'm like, I'm in the desert. I'm at, it's not like the desert south of Bismarck. Like, this is the desert desert. <laughs> and like, it was one day. And I wanted to go home. I hate the desert. It's an awful place to live. Awful. I can't imagine traversing this thing for hundreds, if not thousands of miles on a camel. On top of all this, you know, everybody's probably making fun of them. Their families, you're going you're to do what? Why? Why are you going to go all the way across the desert? I mean, odds are, historically, they're probably from somewhere in, somewhere in southern Arabia or possibly as far as India. So this is a, this is a long trek. And here's the, the craziest part of the whole story. They go not to get anything. They go to give something. When you and I go on trips, we go to get something. I get to go to Disney World and ride all the rides. I get to go to the National Park and, and take all the hikes and see all the beauty. I get to go on this roller coaster, whatever it is. They don't. They go to give. And what do they give? They find this child in the manger and they bow down and worship before him and they give him gifts. And not just any gifts, very specific gifts. 
These gifts, again, I think in the modern day and age are taken for granted because you and I, we've just heard this story so many times. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I think almost every Catholic could probably get that. Okay? I think they could. But I don't know if they could name why. In the modern day and age, I think when we think of gold, we think of money. Right? So wealth. When we think of frankincense, we maybe think of incense. We might also think of essential oils. And when it comes to myrrh, everybody's like, I don't know what myrrh is. I think that most people would not know what they symbolize. Well, maybe not most, but at least a good chunk of people would not know what they symbolize. Maybe you don't even know it. Maybe let's try. What is gold? Why did they bring gold? For the king. Good. You guys are smarter than I thought. <clears throat> the kingly office, right? He's king. Why did they bring frankincense? Priest. Priest and also you can argue too here. Huh? Because he's God, right? So incense was offered to God and it was offered to God by the priests. Right? So the priestly office of Christ, plus he's divine, plus he's a king. And why myrrh? A burial. Because he's mortal. He's also human. King, God, priest, human. How did they get this so right? How did they know? How did they know that this baby laying in a manger was not just the newborn king of the Jews? He was a priest who was going to offer sacrifice, and the sacrifice would be himself. How did they know that? It wasn't by chance. I don't, there's no way it could have been by chance. In the Jewish, uh, it's called the Talmud. It's an ancient historical commentary on the Old Testament. And in there, there is a, a story about some priests who fled Jerusalem and went to Arabia in around 625 BC. So a whole group of them. It is possible that the Magi came from this priestly group or from other groups of watchful priests awaiting the coming of this Messiah King. They knew the prophecies. They knew the gifts. These are not some pagan astrologers. If so, their three gifts could not have been more perfect, perfectly suited to this newborn king. Regardless, I think we often miss the value of these gifts too. You know, it's difficult to translate the value of frankincense and myrrh to North Dakotans. We get gold. Everybody gets gold. And gold just keeps going up, right? But it's very, it's very interesting if you look just a little deeper in the ancient culture that frankincense and myrrh were as valuable, if not more valuable, than gold. And that's something I bet none of you knew. Gold is obviously worth a lot. Monetary wealth, that's the value it has. It was sought after because of that. And it's probable that that gold that was given to Mary and Joseph funded their sudden trip down to Egypt because they were poor and had no way to pay for it. But frankincense, I don't know if you noticed it today, if you smell it, it's in the air. We switched our incense, so it's frankincense this morning. It's an incense for sure, but it also had a lot of different properties to it in the ancient world. By the way, uh, fun fact, side fact, the global Catholic Church uses, on average, 110,000 pounds of frankincense a year. Yeah? Yeah, wow, thank you. All right, we get a wow, finally. We're getting, catching on, right? 
110,000 pounds of it. You can use that for your cocktail parties. Frankincense, frankincense so it's, it's not just for incense. In the ancient world, it was used for lotions. It was used for perfumes. It had an antibacterial property toward it, an anti-inflammatory. So it was a pain reliever. It was also used to improve oral hygiene and prevent gum disease. It's a medicine. It's crazy. Frankincense and myrrh are both medicinal. Here's another aspect. We call Jesus the Savior. That comes from the Latin word salus, which means health. So not only is he king and God and man and priest, he's healer now too. All through these little gifts. Again, myrrh is used to symbolize death because they anointed a corpse. Because I don't know if you know this, but dead bodies don't smell good. The Egyptians would cover them in myrrh just to cover the smell. And myrrh is a very pungent sort of smell. But both myrrh and frankincense, you guys, come from the Far East or Africa. That's why they're so sought after. That's why they were so expensive. Myrrh was also used as perfume and skin toner. Ladies, I want to go pick up some myrrh after Mass. In the book of Esther, I don't know if you've ever read that. It's a short book. You could read it this week. Esther had to undergo six months of beauty treatments with myrrh and other aloes before she was given in marriage to the king of Persia. So what did the king do? He gave her six months. Every day she got to go to the spa to make sure she looked perfect for their wedding day. And finally, myrrh was used as an antiseptic to heal wounds. And it was also used as a painkiller. I don't know if you remember from Matthew and Mark's gospel when Jesus is hanging on the cross. It says they dipped a sponge in wine mixed with myrrh. He didn't take it, but they held it up to him to take to dull some of the pain that he was going through. All of these gifts from life to death, they're all for Jesus's mission. The point, what's the point of telling you all this? They brought the best of what they had, not the leftovers. They brought the most expensive, the greatest things for him. And ultimately, they brought the greatest, greatest gift they could give, which was themselves, as they bowed down and worshipped. I think the epiphany is all about worship, you guys. And it's not about getting something. Worship is about giving something. And in giving, you receive. One of my favorite parts when I took the kids and I was at St. Mary's, I took them down to Guatemala. We'd go down there to give something, right? We'd go build houses for the poor. And every time when we'd come back, every kid was like, I received so much more than I gave. Why? Because in giving, you get. That's the whole Christian message. You know, I think that one of the most common complaints of modern young Catholics is I don't get anything out of Mass. You know what my answer to that is? It's not about you. If Mass is about you getting something and feeling good and having all this... Then it's about you. The only reason you're coming here, and you're coming here is to feel good. How do you know you're truly worshiping God? When you don't get anything, you just give. It's the highest act of worship ever, the crucifixion. And he ain't getting anything. And he's giving everything. But when you learn to give instead of always receive, because the world, our culture is so selfish. It's got us in this, you know... You got to get as much as you can. And that's why we're so bored and anxious and depressed. 
Because we weren't meant to get, we were meant to give. And when you do that, it changes you as a person. So I have my favorite line in this story that we hear about the epiphany. It says that when the Magi give their gifts and they lay down and they prostrate and worship and they get up to leave, they leave by a different way. Why? Because they're changed. They can't go back the way they came. They have to go a different way now. A new route. A new life. It reminds me of the scene from The Chosen, if you guys have seen it. Very first episode. Mary Magdalene, right? She's possessed by seven demons. And the Jews can do nothing to help her. And then Jesus comes, exercises the demons, and she's free. And she's totally changed. A life of sin and suffering and getting everything for herself is now she's living a life for others. And she has this quote. It's one of my favorite quotes from that whole season. She says, because nobody understands what, ha- what happened. She says this, I was one way and now I'm completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. I was one way and now I'm completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. She met him and everything changed. That's what Jesus does. That's why we worship Give God glory and to change our hearts. Maybe this year we begin a new year. Maybe we can turn our focus from the world, which is all about getting, and shift our focus a little more towards the heavenly realms, which is about giving. And so my prayer for you on this Feast of the Epiphany is that this year, it's not about getting. Everybody's doing that. It's about laying down your life giving because that's what Christians do.